Hey, Charlie. Hey, how are you? Yeah, thank you for being so generous with your time. And how's your energy level right now? It's great. <laughs> Ow! It's great. Good. The ch that chat was really on fire, wasn't it? It was going yeah. like, the, like the good old days. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic, man. I'm ready to rock. Okay. So if you've got a question for Charlie, let us know. Put them in the, the chat or put them in the questions box at the bottom. I've got a few, and I'll, I'll get rolling with some of the stuff I want to get off my chest. Sure. So we saw Jean-Luc Brunel die. We saw Hoffenberg die. We were arranging to interview Hoffenberg. Oh, Maria yeah. Farmer was setting that up for us, and, and now he is deceased. What What's your thoughts on, on the continuation of the deaths, then? Is this more hashtag Clinton body count? I mean, let's add Mark Middleton to the list, too, shall we? Explain to the viewers about Mark Middleton. So um, I'll tell you, if you really want a good explanation on who Mark Middleton is, Whitney Webb's books. I know you just had her on. I had her on, too. In book number two, she gets into a lot of it with regard to um, what she called what they call China Gate. And it's this is Clinton White House stuff. This is like first term Clinton, 95, 96. And and Mark Middleton was a guy. He wasn't the chief of staff. He was like a, a guy below him, a couple levels below. He wasn't even really a super high ranking guy in the Clinton White House. But he was the connection to Epstein. When Epstein came in, I think every time, I think it was 16, 17 times through the White House or something like that, 13 times, every time he was there, Middleton was with him. And on some of the uh, instances, they like did the White House tour, left, got on Epstein's plane, flew to the Bahamas with Mark Middleton, flew to the Bahamas, did something, then I guess maybe went to the island and did something else. But but these guys were very tight. And now, you know, and, and, and Epstein was tight with a lot of guys, people that know the Clintons, you know, whatever. The difference is that a couple months ago, Mark Middleton was found hanging from a tree in, on, a, on a ranch property in Arkansas with a shotgun blast in his chest and apparently no blood around, implying that he was killed somewhere else, brought there and hung from a tree. So that's a Clinton body count, as far as I'm concerned. You know, that's a guy that is a direct connection to he's the he's the connection between Epstein and Bill Clinton. Now, again, Ghislaine Maxwell has her dad's connections in. And I think that we would I think the more we learn about that relationship, the more we realize that, you know, Ghislaine's family, the Maxwell family, they were really like multi-generational intelligence assets and things like that. And Epstein was some, some schmuck from Brooklyn who, who kind of walked in on into this thing. He was, he was, you know, he was necessary and he had skills for certain things, but he was not, I don't think he was ever viewed as having sort of the, I don't know, let's just call it old money, old money Maxwell's as opposed to new money Epstein. And one of the things that I think Whitney's book really lays out well is the, is the fact that Epstein was just, you know, we, we know him as this, as this pro, you know, this, this guy who's trafficking kids and doing all the sexual blackmail stuff. And of course that's what he's best known for. But the reality of, of Jeffrey Epstein was that early on in his career, he's just a criminal. He was into everything. 
Anything that would make money, he was doing. He was running Ponzi schemes with Hoffenberg. He was running um, financial schemes at Bear Stearns. He was running them after he left. He was managing money for for people. He was looking for lost treasure, looking for arm. He was dealing arms with Adnan Khashoggi. He was deeply involved in Southern Air Transport, as you've written about. You know, so he did a lot of other things. He was a bounty hunter whatever that means, looking for money, looking for stolen money from dictators or dictators would hire him to go find money and all these unusual things. He was just a criminal and he was a sexual blackmailer on top of that. So, so I think that, um, his, you know, that relationship with, with Mark Middleton doesn't get any publicity, but it should, especially considering that guy wound up, um, you know, DEAD in a really weird situation. And I think we all know, you know, look, when that happens in Arkansas, you know what that's about. It's, there's no secrets there. So they bring medical examiner Fami Malik in on these occasions, usually. I imagine he may be past his sell by date by now. But did the, what did the medical examiner determine had killed Middleton? Was it, uh, you know, is an allergy attack? I, yeah, I think so. I think he, he 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 was a pinata, and a bunch of kids hit him, and and all the candy came out of his insides. I don't know. I mean, they must have, death by stick at a birthday party. I don't know. I don't know what they called it. I mean, it's a it's a murder. Of course, we know that. This is the guy they talk about that 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 designates these these murders as suicides and and things like that. You've always got to have a good medical examiner on your payroll if you're the Clintons or or people dealing with this sort of stuff. So, um, uh, I, you know, look, it obviously went nowhere. The media reported on it and then they went, oh, isn't that weird? It's like, yeah, it's it's more than weird. Can we find out who's behind this? Because I think if you find out who is behind th- that murder, then that will lead you to some powerful people. Of course, we we know the, the reason why you don't dig too too hard into that if you're the media, because they don't they don't want you to know. But but that's 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 a new one that I think a lot of people sort of didn't hear here in America. A lot of people didn't know who he, who that guy was. They didn't care when they when they heard about the death. They went, oh, that's peculiar. But they didn't give it much thought. But but Whitney Whitney laid it out, and she, she you know because her deadline was so tight. Like <clears throat> I remember reading, I read the 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 second book. I read the second book first for whatever reason, and. Um, in that second book, I must've gotten the digital version of it like a day after she wrote it, because in there, there was a, there was a, a date that was the day before I was, I was reading the book and it was like the day before I was like, dang, she must've gotten this to, to him like yesterday to the publisher yesterday or today. So it's very up to date. And, and she mentioned the Mark, Mark Middleton situation in there as well. And for me, just to clarify then as well, to the viewers about the Fami Malik reference, if people are not familiar with him. So one of the very first cases that I looked at on the Clinton body count was the sad story of Linda Ives, mother of Kevin Ives. Kevin and his friend Don Henry went out into the forest and never came back. Our researchers led us to believe that they they overlooked, stumbled upon or did something in the proximity of a CIA drug drop, as documented with, you know, Barry Seal and all that kind of stuff that was coming in through Arkansas, weapons down to Nicaragua, cocaine back up, Oliver North in charge of that one for George H.W. Bush. 
and Clinton providing the state security apparatus to protect the drug drop to protect it. So the boys were murdered, laid side by side on the railway track, and a train ran over them. Now the emergency people who responded saw that the blood was stale, like you just said about Middleton which was a red flag. I think it was Don Henry. His dad rode on the tracks and he was suspicious. And what happened next was they brought Fami Malik in and he said the boys had smoked so much weed they'd gone into a psychedelic trance and fallen asleep side by side on the railway tracks and the trains had run over them. So that then led us to researching all the different cases. That he, I mean, there were people who'd been shot up uh, axes in in the heads, kind of things, and he would say they drowned, <laughs> stuff like stuff like that. It was it, it was so blatant. Spinning a wheel of like like whatever it lands on, it's like da, 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 da. oh, drowning, like got shot twice in the head, like while he was swimming. I guess I don't know. Let's just say drowning. It, it yeah, and almost in a cartoonish version, two guy with two bullet holes in the back of the head, and they're labeling that suicides and things you know i mean look this is this is how it goes at these at these high levels and uh, the people that are in positions of power know how to keep others from getting in on you know determining what's really happening they they put these roadblocks in the way medical examiners for whatever reason maybe that guy's paid a lot of money maybe he's threatened himself you know hey if you don't want to be a a drowning victim yourself you know you might want to get on board with our stuff or we'll make sure that you're on the railroad tracks next time around. So um, it's, it's a dangerous game. Obviously, you're talking about a lot of money, very powerful people, and the ability to keep things quiet. But, but it doesn't always stay quiet. People talk. Things get out. We, we know about that. You've written books about people talking about these things. So, you know. And, and do you know how Malik got in with the Clintons in the first place? How? Bill's mom worked in healthcare. I don't know if she was a nurse or something. And somebody died. And he came in and, and gave a verdict on it in favor of, of Bill's mum. Hmm. Well, yeah. so he, he proved he was he was somebody that they that you could work with. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Absolutely, yeah. So what what do you think then about Prince Andrew crawling back out of the woodwork? You know, obviously, we're not going to disrespect someone whose parent has died. Obviously, they, they need to go and attend the funeral. But yeah. then you had people exercising their freedom of speech and yelling at him. And they were getting snatched off by the cops and arrested. Did you see any of those videos? I did. I did. Um, he should be yelled at and treated with contempt for the rest of his life. For what he's, for what we know he's done, we don't even know the thing. You know, we don't know what we don't know that he's done. But that family, the connections they have, the the friends that they have, the relationship that they had with Savile, there's so much evilness flowing from that family that um, there's nothing you can say to them that's enough, in my opinion. And the fact that the police are there snatching people off the streets for saying this is um, that never works. That doesn't that might scare that guy, but it sends a message to everybody else that the police are scared that they're that, that you know, you don't 
you, you allow that to happen if you if you actually have control over the situation. But when you when you're taking people off the streets because they're criticizing uh, the dear leader, the dear leader's son, then you're just you're really just proving us right that you were, we're living under an authoritarian regime would things like that happen. That guy is worthy of criticism. He deserves criticism. There's nothing that can be yelled at him that's even strong enough to describe what Prince Andrew really is and who he thinks he, you know, and what he's become. So I have, um, I, I don't think that this guy gets a pass ever. I don't think that, um, that he should. And I don't think that the Royal family should, I think that Charles should be held to uh, accountable. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning now. And, and I think obviously you and your audience is aware of this, but for the normies out there, the King of England's best friend was a notorious pedophile for four decades. He was brought in to help mend the relationship between Charles and Diana. Of all the people that you could bring in, you have access to the best psychiatrist, psychologist, marriage therapist, experimental drugs, whatever you want to do. You want to try and help this marriage situation? You've got all the resources at your disposal. You bring in Jimmy Savile. That's the if that's the answer, then what's the question? Like, what are you trying to do? If you bring, if you think that the this, you know, what'll really fix my marriage with my wife is if I have Jimmy Savile come over and give me some good advice on how to be, how to, you know, what to say. Come here, hey, come here, come here, here, toots. Let me tell you, let me tell you, you need to take care of your boy here, you know, and, and all that stuff. And you just go this guy's a monster. So I think that, I think that the, the Royal family has built up this image. It's carefully crafted of being sort of above reproach and the queen, you know, to the extent that I could tell was, well, with the exception of the thing that happened in Canada in 1964 was pretty much kept out of all the tabloids riffraff i mean she, there were no real scandals in her she was relatively boring by all accounts you know i mean people liked her but she was boring but but the next generation charles and andrew and these guys these guys uh we watched them grow up i mean especially you guys in the uk you watched them watch charles for 70 years developed in, into the person that he is today and who is he surrounded with surrounded by pedophiles and the worst people in the world. So you've got a king in there that has his life experience is very odd to say the least, but it's, it's also, he's surrounded in his inner circle by people that think very differently than we think that have different values that treat people differently, that, that don't, they don't have any sort of respect for others. And, and, and I hope that this, era passes quickly because nobody wants to see Charles in charge of anything. And nobody wants to, see, you know, because as long as he's there, the questions are going to be, why are you, why is your best friend? Why was he a, a, a notorious serial predator? And, and, and why did, why was he allowed full access to the, to Buckingham palace for decades and decades? And what about, you know, what about these other guys? What about the list of, of people that have been knighted, you know, Sir Peter Heyman and Sir Cyril Smith and Sir, you know, all these guys that, that 
Elm guest house and Dolphin Square members and, and, and all this. There's a pattern forming here. It's a very disturbing one. So, I mean, the, the queen did a pretty good job of keeping a lid on that stuff for the most part by staying out of the fray. But now that it's been handed over to Charles and eventually William, I think that um, I think that the, now's a good time to start asking some questions for the general public. You, you've had the queen and she stayed out of all that stuff, but now it's Charles. Charles is there. And now, you know, we need to have the job interview. He needs to he needs to interview for this job with the with the British people. And I think that if he were to do that in, in sort of a, you know, like a kind of fake way, but, you know, get to know him. I think that what people would get to know is, is a reprehensible guy. I, th I think he's, I think these guys are not, not, uh, I think, I think they're no, I think Charles is no good. I think Andrew's no good. I, I don't know that the next generation will be much better, but uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's a time to reflect on, is this concept a little bit outdated? You know, do we really need this sort of monarchy out here? Is this uh, is this the best way forward? And and I don't know. That's for you guys to decide. I mean, we already have our we got enough problems here in, in America with our own stupid form of government. We don't. You know, the last thing we need is a king or a queen here. We'd just ruin it. And one of the most elite super predator royal family members that influenced Charles the most undoubtedly was Lord Mountbatten. So I, I've got a follow-up book coming out to Who Killed Epstein. I'm hoping to get it out by Christmas. And I've done a whole chapter on Lord Mountbatten. I'll just read a couple of sentences here. From Prince Charles's friendship with Britain's most notorious paedophile, Jimmy Savile, to the Earl's close relationship with the paedophile bishop, Peter Ball, royals seem to have a habit of befriending the wrong kinds of people, but the most insidious of all, was Charles and Andrew's great uncle, Lord Lewis Mountbatten. Yeah. Have you have you looked at Mountbatten, Kinkora Boys Home, the how you know, the assassination of him? Yeah. Yeah. He he he's he was he, again, if you get one per, a pervy uncle, it can happen to anybody, right? You you get you get you you grow up in a family and you got that one uncle over there, he's a little off. But when it's all of them and you're bringing in people that are friends and they're you know dis disgusting pedophiles as well it's got to do something to you it's really got to i mean to talk about molding how you view the world it's already coming out as you know in his for who he was he was going to see the world very differently anyway but but you know even under the best of circumstances. But then when you surround him with this group that teach him how the world, how the world works according to them. And, and, and of course, Prince Philip too, let's not forget Prince Philip was a literal Nazi. And so we've got, we've got the worst influences around, around these people. And then we expect, and then, and they're put in an impossible situation anyway. I mean, to be, to have your, your mother as the queen is going, your, your life is going to be privileged, but weird. And, and under the best of circumstances. But then when you add in an inner circle that is so devious and dark and the things that they have normalized to him over his lifetime, how do you, how do you, like, how do you measure the effects that Lord Mountbatten had on Prince Charles? I guess you'll know it when you see it. Unfortunately, you don't want to see it because you know, it'll be bad. And, and then, you know, and you think, well, maybe, you know, yeah, Prince, 
yeah, yeah, Lord Mountbatten is is a bad guy, and yeah, he's you know had this influence, but the world's not just like you know not everybody's like him. Um, oh, but Jimmy Jimmy Savile's coming over to to hang out later today. Well, I guess he's just like him, right? So he's bad, and then you're going to hang out with these other guys, and then they say they say, well, you know, the Maxwell family's here, and well, they're they're no good either, and 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 we'd like you to meet Jeffrey Epstein, and he's a bad guy, and you start to think, well, is everybody like this? I mean, I guess everybody's like this. So he's, this whole family is, is broken, broken, totally shattered. And, um, and like the tabloid stuff, like who would have thought that Prince Harry and his tabloid stuff, that's a, that's refreshing compared to the, to the other problems that these guys have had in the past. The, I'm talking about the, you know, Charles and Andrew and, and the likes and these guys, their scandals are devious. I mean, now you've got Harry just going woke and moving to California mm-hmm. and, and trying to do a podcast and things like that. If that's the, if that's the extent of like the stain on the British royalty, they can handle that. The problem is when you start to get these other guys that are tied to, um, you know, Ted Heath and dolphin square and all these things. And you, they, they say, well, we need answers on this. Why are you, why are all your guys hanging out at this place? that's like a, a notorious boy's home. And the answer is we can't talk about that. You know, they can't talk about that. So, so the Royal family's got a lot of, um, could you imagine being the PR guy in charge of them? Woo. I have to pay you a hundred times what you're asking for to do yeah, that job. A, a PR guy who advises you to go and do a BBC interview and say that you don't sweat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is great, Charlie. This is like the good old days of, what was it called? Uh, Partners in Evil. Was that the series we had that YouTube kicked? Part- yeah, 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 yeah. Partners yeah, that evil. one was a, that was great. That one got a ton of, <laughs> ton of views because we were talking, and, and again, we were just talking about the things that I think people really wanted information on. And then in, they wanted to know more about it. And you get to a point where some platforms, they just don't want, they don't want that. So they have to put an end to it. That's a shame. So how's your, how's your, uh, Patreon experience been? Yeah, the Patreon experience has been absolutely fine. And we really appreciate all the Patreons who are present right now, especially in the, in the chat and for their love and support, because we were doing 10 to 15 million views a month on YouTube at the height of Epstein. And then once they uh, deleted half the channel and shadow banned us, we were down to a million views a month. For a long time, we were pretty much shadow banned. Now the algorithm in the last six months, I would say, has just started to come more and more in our favor. Mm-hmm. So we're back up to two to three million views a month, but our costs are 10,000 a month. Uh, with all the podcasts that we fill because the podcasts tend to lose money unless you get hundreds of thousands of views but it's Mm -hmm. thanks to the patreons and the sponsors that we've been able to keep it going so we really appreciate all that we've you know we're firing at full throttle right now two to three podcasts a week the big live stream every week i've got six different co-hosts now Um, so so yeah so everything you know the mission is full steam ahead and um uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, about about Mountbatten. They yeah. uh, there was there was an FBI file from 1944 containing an interview with, with an intimate of the royal family stated that Lord Louis Mountbatten was known to be a homosexual with perversion for young boys. So they had this file on him for all those years, knowing what he was doing. We interviewed Richard Kerr 
It was a survivor of King Cora Boys Home. Absolute <laughs> horror story. Such so emotional. Such a such an amazing brave spirit. And you know this this guy was was able to act with impunity for that amount of time. He did end up getting assassinated. But um, absolute horror show of what happened yeah. at the King Cora King Cora Boys Home. And now we've got the B- the BBC about to release a uh, another Savile program. There's going to be another Savile big thing. Oh, is there? Re- resurrect massive int- interest in it. It's supposed to be coming out this year. Well, I'm 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 glad. On the one hand, I'm glad to expose this stuff. I always feel bad for the victims that have to relive it. You know, and they say, "Oh, there's another thing." They're going to talk about Savile, and I and I want I worry that they have to go through this all over again. But as long as they've, as long as they're up for it, I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful for people to recognize that this sort of character, this guy exists. You know, he did exist. He was able to operate with impunity in the BBC and elsewhere and beyond. Musicians knew what was going on, wrote songs about it. Everyone seemed to know, but no one could do anything about it. And I think that when you, you know, and he's dead and he's he's long gone and 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 all that. But I think it's important for people to recognize that that sort of thing can happen. And it does from time to time happen. And you would think, oh, this is a bad guy. Don't we catch the bad guys? And it's like, well, sometimes the people that are running these establishments, they need the bad guys. You know, they 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 need them for certain things. And by the way, depending on how bad you are, that might keep you alive, you know, because they you you know a lot of information that if uh, if you are taken out, that information is set to come out, and they, and so you can keep yourself alive by being the worst guy around. And I would suggest Jimmy Savile was the worst guy around. They knew, you know, he, you know, if that guy were to be locked up and he wanted to get himself out, he had very powerful friends that he could lean on and say, you know, it'd be a shame if they took me down to the basement and started beating me and torturing me i might have to give up some information you know probably be be best for me to get out of here as quick as possible if you guys know what i mean wink wink and then the next thing you know that guy's out so it's important for people to recognize that 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 happens and that those guys exist and i think in america we got a little taste of it with epstein but you know i mean he did eventually die in prison jimmy savile is a different story as far as i can tell he never spent a day in prison for anything right was never held accountable. Thanks to his weekly luncheon for the police. Right. So wherever wherever he went, wherever he committed crimes, the protocol was, if, for example, he committed crimes in Surrey, the uh, county I live in, at a girl's home down here, but the protocol was you had to report his crimes to the police at, in the jurisdiction he was domiciled. And there was one particular police person who took those calls out of West Yorkshire Police that attended his weekly lunches. And there are allegations that, you know, he was procuring young uh, females for these cops uh, at these these lunches. So it it didn't matter where they reported him. It just got squashed right away by West Yorkshire Police. I mean, we had a woman on recently, Carol Higgins, and her dad was in business with Judge Pickles, uh, various Freemasons. This was in West Yorkshire. And her dad basically bred her to molest her. And Oof. this went on for a long period of time. 
and then she 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 reported him for 35 years she reported him i think it was like dozens of times and the cops did nothing about it and eventually they contacted her on something unrelated and they asked her at the end of the conversation they asked her how she was feeling and she said well i'm pretty depressed and messed up actually because my dad did this thing to me and i've been reporting it to you guys for years and you've done nothing about it and it was only then from this impromptu call that they finally nailed the bastard but at least he got a good sentence and he's never going to get out oh good that's crazy that shouldn't it sends a terrible message to victims you know i mean it's like one thing to be a victim in you know of a sexual assault it, then you're victimized a second time when there's no justice for you you're victimized again when nobody believes you or or the police tell you you're you're crazy and you know that it's true you know what happened it's um it's got to be tough it's got to be you know it's just insult to injury and and of course anybody that knows somebody that has gone through some sort of sexual abuse like that it's it it's not like you break your leg and put a cast on it and then after eight weeks it's healed and you feel kind of weird at first and then it goes back to normal. you're never normal you're broken in some level forever and to do that to somebody to do that to a kid is just uh, you know it's unforgivable obviously but those kids grow up to be adults and those adults have issues because of this childhood and and the worst part about that is then they they make a decision somewhere along their life. Do they reoffend? Do they offend like the, you know, and complete the cycle, like what was done to them or do they break out of it? And I think it's really difficult for some people to be able to break out of it, even though they recognize what they've gone through is, is horrible and they don't want to do that. But they, there's some mechanism that, that maybe makes you feel like you can offload some of your pain onto somebody else by doing that. And it, sort of takes it away from you and i'm not really sure how that works in somebody's mind but it's just a really sad completely preventable situation that that everyone was put through and and so you know so if a new jimmy savile doc comes out then i think that's maybe good for people to see it as long as the survivors recognize that they're going to be sort of you know they're going to be put through it again and um but I think people need to know that these monsters are out there and that they, you know, you're expecting the guy to be peeping in your window in the middle of the night, looking for you and everything. And sometimes it's the guy that you see on TV. Sometimes it's Jim will fix it. He's just going to come over and fix it. He's a good guy. He runs for charity. How dare you question that guy? You know how many charity, you know how many marathons this guy has run? You know how much money he's raised for, for all these homes. He's done all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, but I know what he did to me, you know, and you want to say it. And then you, you're up against this whole constructed image or this persona that, that the media reinforces and the people and the fans reinforce it and all this stuff. And boy, it's just got to feel like whether it's Jimmy Savile, you're, 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 you're accusing or um, Ted Heath or Peter Heyman or one, any of these prominent high ranking guys, it's basically your, your word against theirs and and you know how that's going to go so i have a lot of empathy for the victims of these crimes that all the crimes really the sexual crimes but especially the ones that were that were perpetrated by people that are known to be above the law because that's just another it's another assault to these people to have the first assault happen and then to have the cover-up happen where you know nothing is going to ever, no justice is ever going to come. That's got to be, um, that's got to be deeply 
troubling for people to go through. Huge thank you, Charlie. We've run out of time now. And do you want to just remind the viewers where they can find you and support you? Yes, of course. Macroaggressions goes out as an audio podcast twice a week. On Sunday, it's an interview. On Wednesday, it is a monologue. You can subscribe to the show, uh, download it, rate it, do all those things, share it with your friends and family. It's free. It's wherever podcasts are available in audio format. If you like the video version, you can find it on band.video, Odyssey, Rockfin, and now vigilante.tv, which is Jeff Berwick's place. You can My website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. I'm pretty accessible. You can send me emails. I'll, for the most part, I'll, I'll get back to uh, to people. And if you want to uh, support me by buying books, books are available there. And I appreciate you having me on, Sean. And I'll be talking to you next week when we do our little interview for Macro Plus, which is coming soon. Can't wait for it, Charlie. Much love and respect, brother. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks for spending so you much too. time with us today. Much appreciated. Thank you, Sean. Cheers. Thank Bye-bye. you. Oh, I just, I, Charlie, man, much love and respect. You always. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm always just so happy to see you, man. Well, well, that goes both ways. I feel the same way. I'm happy to see you. How's everything going? You're one of my favorite people in the world, and you have just contributed so much to our mission. You've been there from the days before the tyrants took us down and launched campaigns against us. <laughs> and <laughs> you, you, you so eloquently break down what these NWO bastards are doing. And you do it with just the most charming smile on your face. <laughs> well, let's kill them with kindness, shall we? <laughs> While we're mocking them relentlessly. <laughs> I, I, I like, I, look, I like to take a, a, a lighthearted approach to this stuff. I know it's serious. I fully recognize that, that we are dealing with some very evil people that have um, nefarious intent. But I also know that if we... If we come at this with a little bit of humor, it it works better to attract people to our message. It it's not to d- diminish the importance of of what's going on. I, I certainly recognize the importance of it, but I do think that when when we come in at lighthearted, like the way George Carlin did, or and I'm I'm no George Carlin, don't get me wrong, but but you know the guys that that did that Joe Rogan does it well John Stewart used to do it very well where they would there would be a a very real story and it but it would be wrapped with a bit of humor so you got the joke you understood what was happening in reality the real story but you got the joke and it, it and you you kind of laughed at it and you went oh yeah that is crazy that does sound insane that what he's talking about i never thought of it like that so i like to have some fun with it but um but um but it's not to be mistaken <clears throat> for how serious I take this. I think that we are up against some really dangerous and evil people in this world, and um, we shouldn't let our guard down. But I think the best way to fight them is expose the fact that they don't have a sense of humor. They have no ability to laugh at how ridiculous they are. We do. Let's use it. Let's mock them. Let's meme them to death. And then while they're crying, meme them while they're crying. You know what I mean? Like that whole thing. Let's just pile on these people and uh, and destroy. And I and I have to say that you do you you have a great platform for this because you bring in all these people, these marginalized people. You know, the the early days of your show, it was all like People that had done a lot of time and all these people that are easy to dismiss, but then they start talking and you go, 
this guy's a genius. This guy's brilliant. This guy's been locked up for 30 years. He knows everything. And, and then you start to realize, wait a second, you don't have to come out of Oxford to have an education. In fact, you get a different education if you don't. And, and so I, I've always appreciated you giving the voice to the voiceless and that those people, when, when on center stage, you just, your mind is blown at the, the intelligence level that they have. So, so thanks to you for everything you're doing. Oh, cheers. Yeah. On that note, there's so much wasted talent in prisons and people have done serious time. Just, they have a whole wisdom about them that other people, you know, would never experience. So it's, it's great that, you know, we maintain that mission and bring as many people on as possible who've been incarcerated. So Charlie, just want to, you know, just tell the viewers then a little bit about your mission. My mission is to expose the controlling class, the predator class, to make all of us normal people aware of who they are and what they are doing and, and what they want. Not because we need to dwell on it and make our lives miserable, but because I think it's important to know what you're going up against. You know, if you want to defeat anybody, whether you're in a, a, a fist fight, a soccer match, um, a, a, or politics, you want to know who your enemy is, who you're going up against, what their strengths and weaknesses are so that you can plan accordingly. And I think for all of us, it's important to know who we're going up against. And that includes the mainstream media. That includes uh, content platforms, you know, that, that have an interest in narrative management. It's important that we understand that, um, you know, I want I, my message. I Number one on my hit list is the mainstream media. I can't stand them, but I want to make sure that everybody knows that they should not be able to stand them as well. Because when you recognize, when somebody tells you the media is going to be lying to you on an industrial scale, and now your mind is set to look for it, You'll see it everywhere. You'll see the lies everywhere. But if nobody ever tells you that the media is their job is to lie to you and to create narratives and manage these narratives in a way that benefits the establishment, you just go through life turning on the TV, assuming you're getting the the good information. Yeah, it might be a little bit wrong or it might be slightly different on another channel or something. But you just go, well, it's probably all the same and it's probably close to the truth. And then you find out it's not. It's not anywhere near the truth. It's 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 well crafted lies, and um, and so my mission is to have is to to get people to just just look at things a little bit differently, much like if you you find one of those paintings that's all dots, you know, it's just a bunch of dots, and you look at it, and someone goes <sighs> an elephant, and you go, I don't see an elephant, and then you stare at it and get your eyes all crossed, and you go, oh oh, I see the elephant now, I see the elephant. Every time you look at that painting, you'll always see the elephant. So I want to make sure that whenever people are looking at the media, they always see the elephant. That's it. Great explanation. And before we get into the subjects of the night, I'm just going to let people know. So Charlie's coming on in sections tonight. The Patreon section is at 8.10. And Charlie will be completely uncensored over the link is in the description box. If you want to join us over there. If you do have questions for Charlie put them in the chat now if there's questions not answered that's because we can't talk about the unmentionables on yeah. this platform we have to tread carefully and charlie before we do get into these subjects then that i've got ready here could you just tell the viewers where they could find and support you online sure 
you can find my website is the octopus of and through there you can find information about the three books i've written you can find links to the digital versions of those books there and you can and it'll also direct you to the paperback versions which are available on amazon and anyone that wants to support me i appreciate it if you want to bypass amazon you can buy the digital versions directly from me go to the website it'll it'll sort of explain that uh twitter at macroaggression i enjoy twitter a lot i do fully recognize that from time to time, I'm arguing with robots. I don't want that to be the case. I just know that I, I get triggered from, you know, every now and then. My show, Macroaggressions, goes out as an audio podcast twice a week. It goes out in video format on band.video. It goes out on Rockfin, Odyssey, and now Vigilante.tv, which is Jeff Berwick's uh, dollar vigilante platform. So, that's where you can find me. Oh, Sean, I've got to tell you a funny story first. My wife just told me this. She was in London on business uh, for the last two weeks. She flew in right before the funeral, right? She, they'd planned this. You know, she's organizing this huge corporate event. And um, they obviously plan these things months in advance. Then the funeral, ha ha you know, the queen and then the funeral and all that stuff. So she has no way, you know, she didn't plan it. She's just got to improvise, right? So she flies in and it's a mess, right? Everything's shut down, you know. And she gets, um, they have these cars, you know, like these, these, uh, luxury cars that are shuttling people sort of to and from the, the events. And she gets in this one. She just told me this this morning. So I have to, I have to specifically tell you, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you told me this. Cause this is Sean's going to love this. <laughs> and the driver is so, he's so proud of, of his car and, and his, his situation. He turns back with her at a stoplight, he turns back to her and he says, I, I think you should know that our company and these particular cars were used uh, in the funeral to, to get the uh, people up to, you know, to where they needed to be. And she's like, Oh, and he, she goes, as, as a matter of fact, Prince Andrew rode in this very car to the funeral. And my wife goes, Oh my God, I wish my husband was here. So we <laughs> <laughs> so we quick, you know she quickly uh you know wiped down the seats for any germs and you know <laughs> right that's about all we can say on that subject <laughs> mm -hmm. so today charlie i sent a message to russell brand offering uh, assistance if need be to due to the protocol required to deal with a, a, a channel that's at the inception of getting st struck down. That's, uh, uh, you know, back when yeah. you were on board and we were the tip of the spear on the Who Killed E case and we had 60 million views mm -hmm. on the channel on that stuff, the same thing happened that is happening to him now. The strikes commenced. It got to the point where I had 30 to 40 of them, major ones. Uh, the channel was taken down twice. And there is a certain protocol to go through to get your channel back up. So as someone who's experienced that, and being a huge supporter of Russell, I, I sent him a message, you know, offering my advice if he needs it. Now, he has put out that he's live streaming daily on Rumble, and he's got mm -hmm. lots of content over there. I see that he's got, what is it, 6 million followers on YouTube, and his videos get a million plus views a day. On Rumble, he's getting good views, but nowhere near the level of views on YouTube. So I think, it, you know, if, if you're in that fight, you could fall on your sword, 
and just go balls to the wall and get struck off. Or you can view this as a tool that could still be used. You could stick to the guidelines, keep using the tool, funnel the message out, funnel people over to Rumble, keep getting the message out on this major platform. Don't fall on your sword. What What's your attitude towards it? Do, do you think that he should fall on his sword or do you think he, he should try and, and, and uh, salvage YouTube? Well, I'll tell you, it's a, as somebody that just had their channel completely deleted by YouTube a couple of weeks ago for no reason. I didn't have a, I didn't get a, I mean, I had two strikes on it, but I hadn't posted anything for months. And the strikes that I did get were from when I, before I had stopped posting, you know, just random videos from a year ago that they were getting dinged. And then I woke up one day and I got an email saying, your channel's been terminated. And I thought, you know, well, I wasn't as distraught as like when Sam Tripoli had his ch channel taken down. They wound up putting it back up and, and others. I remember they, they were coming after you and you guys have built a real solid, you know, you built a, a, a big following on this platform and, and YouTube is the platform, you know, I mean, they've got all the eyeballs. It's where everybody goes. It's sort of, it's easy to do and it's a good, it's well-built and it works every time you go on it and it's all those things. But but it is like building a foundation on quicksand. You know, you just cannot invest the sort of time and effort, or at least I can't, because the things I want to talk about now will get me in trouble. The things I want to talk about in the future will most definitely get me in trouble because they're going to be they're going to be all they're going to be outside of the accepted like narrative that they've got in YouTube you know, they manage that. They, if you stay inside of that, you're fine. If you get outside, then they, they, they come after you. But the problem is it's, it's like constantly changing. You don't know what, you know, things that I said a year ago that were factually correct would get me thrown off. But the same thing today is a provable fact, but what are they going to do? Retroactively put me back on. So I don't blame him for looking for other options. And when you're Russell Brand, you've got plenty of options. You know, I mean, you're you're very talented, well-known, well, really well-liked. I know there's some people that, you know, you're never going to make everybody happy, but I like the guy. I've been to his comedy shows live. Um, I've watched his movies. I like the things he talks about. I like the way in which he does it. I fully understand that he's part of that system and so he's operating inside the system maybe he's a little better at it than <clears throat> than i am maybe he knows like where those lines are and not to cross them but i i never could figure it out so for me i had to you know i, I had to go elsewhere and i think for him you know he's got the sort of star power that could really help rumble i wouldn't be i don't know the ins and outs of the deal I don't know if they signed him to a big, big deal. And he's like, look, man, I got to go. There's a lot of money here and we're going to build this thing together and I'm going to bring my audience and Rumble's going to pay. And I don't know. I, I can't, I certainly don't blame him. I, you, you know, but for me, unless it's an exclusive, I kept the YouTube there. I just kept it just as, as something to have. I wasn't going to delete it. I was going to make them kick me off, which of course they finally did. And that was important to me because I didn't want to, I wanted to use them for as much as I could use them for. So I'm not really sure what his his deal is with with Rumble, but um, but look, he, he, 
there it's undeniable that this this company youtube parent company google alphabet has an agenda and if you get outside of that agenda they use their terms and services to punish you and what that punishment looks like is very different for everybody that's the thing there's almost no consistency you know it'd be one thing if they said we will ding you and throw you off if you talk about this this and the other but it's like constantly changing rules you mention that one day and nothing happens to you. And then you mention it again and nothing happens to you. And then you go about your life and then they throw it, then they kick you off eight months down the line for that same video that they didn't do anything to you the first time around, you know, and you go, why now? You know, so none of it really makes much sense. I, I hope he has tremendous success at Rumble. I hope people follow him. I hope his message gets out. I think he delivers it in a way that a lot of people are are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and listen to what he says because he's an interesting guy. And I and so I we need we need a guy like that to to at least get some of the normies thinking about this stuff. So if he's if he's been censoring if he's been this great and he's been censoring himself, just imagine what he'll do on a place where he can say whatever he thinks. There's quite a few people in the comments saying Russell Brand is a Freemason and he's controlled opposition. What are your thoughts on that, Charlie? I hear that. And maybe he is. <laughs> he's pretty, I mean, it's fine. They better get control of him then because he's talking about a lot of stuff that makes him nervous. Now, he may very well be all of those things, right? And we may be cheering for a guy that is the least worst of that group, okay? But at this point, man, like if somebody is talking about the important things, I want them to keep talking about the important things. And 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 I don't I also want to say that like we don't know the limitations of what he can and can't say and is he controlled opposition? Look, we I think we're all controlled at some point. We're all controlled in a sense that like I have to control myself so that I don't say something that's going that's going to get me thrown off of a place. Now you've done you've done that a really good job. You've fully recognized early on that there's some things we just can't say. We have to wait for Patreon to say it. But even there, you could still get kicked off. But 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 we have to wait. So we're controlling ourselves because of that. And now self censorship. You know how do you how do you measure self censorship? censorship how do you quantify that it's dis it's disgusting that we have to do it but what would you rather us do would you rather us just come right out and just say everything we're thinking and then watch our channels go away immediately or allow us to be strategic about it talk about the things that we can talk about and then say hey the after party is elsewhere come meet us at the after party we'll talk about some of the other stuff that we can't talk about here so all right, so if you are putting questions in the chat, I'm going to ask Ash to gather the questions because we've got oh, well over a 1,000 in the live right now and it's going too fast for me to keep up with it and look at Charlie at the same time. We have got a question here from Kat Sand. By all means, keep putting your questions in the chat and Ash will, will grab them for us. All right, so Kat Sand has got one for Charlie. The immensity of the evil is unbelievable. After we become aware... Do you see any key pressure points that could stop or weaken their malevolent plans for us? Well, well she actually, Kat said it in the description, awareness, that we become aware. Once you become aware of things, it takes, you know, you, you start to see the plan everywhere. I think the first step is for us to be aware, not, not like obsessed or 
paranoid or sight, you know, like we, I don't, I don't want to get like to people to the point where they're terrified of what we're up against, but I do want them to be aware of it. And I think there's a difference for that. So if you can at least recognize that, that this is, think of it like this, a magician does the trick and da, 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 and then boom, pulls the bird out. Right. And you go, everyone in the audience is like, wow, where do you get that bird? If you know how the trick is done, and you know that the bird is in his back pocket or whatever, you know, and he pulls it out. You can all, you'll all, that trick will never work on you again. Why? Because you're aware of it. You know how it works. You know what's coming next. And I think with this preponderance of evil that Kat was talking about, it's, it's everywhere, right? It's, it's sort of all around, but once you're aware of it and you, and you, you, you notice it, it gives you power. It takes the, the power of surprise away from them and gives you power. Now you recognize it. You can challenge it. You can navigate away from it. You can get your kids away from it. You know, you can you can sort of decide how you want to interact with it. But I think the first step in in taking the power away from these people is to recognize who they are and what they're doing. And once you recognize the, the players in the game, you then have the ability to say, do I want to, you know, you can be strategic. Do I want to go head on into these people and really fight them? Or do I want to pick at them from the outside? Or do I want to just wake up enough people so that everybody knows the trick now? So I think that, I think that we, we have to be aware uh, of, of what's going on. And that's not a bad thing. We're not dwelling on it. We're just aware of it. Because the first step towards fixing any of this or towards anything is, you know, you have a problem. First step is, you know, you have to be aware of the problem. So let's let's use that as as an opportunity once we're aware of it. But but I I, I want to caution against going too far down into the negative rabbit hole. Of, well, it's over. They've got, you know, they're 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 so much more powerful than us. What's the point? I'm just going to do whatever I need to do to go along to get along. No, 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 no. These people are. These people are incompetent at times. There's a very small fraction of the percentage that's in charge. We have the numbers, and if we decide that things change, they change. So, so I think that um, don't be overwhelmed by the fact that these people there's so much evil out there. Just be aware of it, and then and then use your your brain to sort of navigate you through it. So Ash has sent me several questions. Uh, one pertains to Alex Belfield. Did you see the meteoric rise and fall of the YouTuber Alex Belfield? He was out of the UK, Charlie. Was that something that you 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 were able to watch? Or? No, Na name sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know exactly what he was known for. All right, let's skip that then. I'm I'm just going to say one thing that um, we had Matthew Steeples on last week talking about Alex Belfield. and it upset a lot of people, <laughs> and we are trying to get someone on to give the other side of it, someone close to Alex, let's just say perhaps next week, hopefully. And the, the views of the guests do not necessarily reflect my own views. Alex was one of the people who provided information that helped me when my YouTube channel went down. All right, so we've got Sir Greg. Is Russell distracting us from correcting our birth certificate frauds? Does Russell operate on the public side or the private side? George Carlin was also in the club. Look, if George, if George Carlin was in the club, they would have kicked him out of the club for, <laughs> for the things that he said. He told, he sat on a, a private airplane doing cocaine all day long. <laughs> That's all he did. If he was in the club, like, you know, I mean, this is, 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree. I don't agree that, 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 um, George Carlin was in the club. He was in the industry. Most definitely. And you're in the industry and you have to navigate that industry. And I think that guys like Mel Gibson and guys like George Carlin and these people, they, they work in Hollywood. They recognize what's going on. They see what's going on. When you're Mel Gibson and you talk about it, you seem unhinged and crazy. When you're George Carlin, talk about it. You're just a comedian, right? Wink, wink. So <laughs> the jester gets the ability to say the things that nobody's allowed to say. And I would put Russell Brand in that category too. In fact, I want to read you something from my first book. This is a quote. I quoted Russell Brand in, in there. So um, this, <laughs> this is from the GQ award show. Uh, he's sponsored by Hugo Boss. This is from 2013. So I'll set it up. Um, Russell Brand and Noel Gallagher from Oasis are in the audience, right? And Russell's been nominated for, um, I forget what, he was nominated for some award and he won it and went up to the podium, accepted his award and then gave a present, a, an acceptance speech, which I just uh, deemed the best acceptance speech of all time, in which he said the following. And keep in mind, this is Hugo Boss Clothing Award Show 2013. He said, if any of you know a little bit about history or fashion, you would know that Hugo Boss made the uniforms for the Nazis. And the Nazis did have flaws, but, you know, they did look effing fantastic while they were killing people on the basis of their religion and sexuality. <laughs> and they were immediately escorted out of the theater. <laughs> Noel, Russell, get out. You guys are gone. Wow. So I thought that was great, you know, to, to bring that up at the Hugo Boss Award Show and mention that Hugo Boss made the Nazi uniforms. That's awesome. Now, he may be part of the club, but when you do stuff like that, they revoke your club card for at least a while, I would think. I don't know. Is there a clip of that? I'd love to see that. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's definitely a clip of it. Oh, that would be <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. you can find it. All right. So prior to coming on, Charlie, I was speculating as to my own theories of – I was asked who's running the world, and I said throughout time that competing cliques around the world have – tried to run the world you know you've got the the, the empires the ancient empires mod, you know rome greece etc and then if you, if you read um the book what was that bloody long economics book where he talked about that the hungry country well adam smith wealth of the nations the hungry country always rises up and takes out the powerful country that's now become fat and lazy and they've lost their warlike spirit that's what Adam. That's what Adam Smith would say. So this question has come in from Azazel Nama. Who is at the top of the pyramid? Who is running the show? Well, uh, yeah, it's a good question, and I think that I think that's multiple factions. I don't think it's any one universal group, but I think that if you want to talk about people that have access to control, like how deep down this rabbit hole do we want to go? Right? Do we want to talk about potentially non-human entities being involved i mean we could and we can yes, go down this this do. path we and do. we go down we there do. and we we call we, we 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 send a message to david we have david come on over we talk about all <laughs> kinds of things i have no personal experience with that i can't say whether it is true or isn't true i'll tell you what i can what i do know as far as the human entities here that are in a position of power a lot of them have to do with banking dynasties 
if you trace bloodline families and you trace banking dynasties, you will find the, the, what has always been true. Follow the money, man. Whoever's got the money makes the rules. So you want to talk about who's, I'll tell you who's not in charge. I'll tell you who's not running things. Politicians, politicians aren't running anything that you think they are. And, and they, they, they're given the appearance of being in charge, but those people, we direct our anger and frustration at them, but they're just punching bags. I mean, they're not really doing anything. The people that are above them, the people that are really running the world are smart enough to know that you stay out of the spotlight. You can do far more damage. You can, you can achieve your agenda a, a whole lot quicker and more effectively if you remain in the shadows. So you use cutouts, you use puppets, you use these people that are disposable to do the things that you need them to do. And you offer them the world, whatever it is. You know, if you're a politician, you like power, we got it. You like money, we got it. You know, you want all these things, whatever it is, you like kids, whatever, whatever the thing is that, that they're, they're interested in and this, these flawed human beings, they're provided that as a, as a bait to get them into politics and doing what these people say. Money runs the world, always has. And the banking and the banking families have been very instrumental in that. And I would also, I would also not discount the fact that, you know, these ancient family, you know, like the, the people that are running the Vatican's and the black nobility and all these, these very secretive groups that nobody really knows about that don't get any sort of hate on the nightly news or anything like that. Those are the groups that are, are far more dangerous as far as like one guy who's really in charge. I mean, I know it'd be nice to say, oh, it's, uh, you know, let's not, let's not say Rothschild or something, <laughs> you know, it would be nice to just say it's that guy. If we take that guy out, then, then all our problems go away. It's not that it's not like that though. These are, these are interconnected networks. And by the way, that they all want a little something different. Some of them want this. Some of them want power. Some of them want, you know, control over a new version of banking. Some of them want global war. Some of them want a one world government. Some of them want to split off and colonize the moon or, so, you know, I mean, I don't think there's a monolithic them out there, but, um, but the, the influence of these groups is definitely felt every day in our, in our daily lives. And, 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 and it, and it's easy to be dismissive of people sort of pulling the strings and they're like, Oh, you guys are, you guys are out of your minds with that stuff. Well, look, things are made to happen in a coordinated way. And the mainstream media and your local government and you're in the government in the UK, they're not in charge. They are acting on behalf of somebody above them. And that person that is giving them directions is acting on, uh, under orders of somebody above them as well. So everybody's got a boss in this scenario. And, and, and I think when we get to the final guy, I, you know, I mean, that that opens up a whole can of worms where you start to talk about, well, is it the misshapen head guys that are in charge, you know, with the long skulls? Like, I don't know, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. And I wouldn't pretend to have all the answers to that or any of the answers, really. Which which just confirms the pyramid structure of society that has always existed from time immemorial. Yeah. All right. So next question, then, is from Easy E. Can you ask Charlie? Oh, I loved, what your, views loved your solo album, Easy. <laughs> what hap what's just happened on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Are you up to speed on that one? Yeah. America blew it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just we we not me. Um, but the United States blew that pipeline up. They said they were going to do it. 
Joe Biden talked about saying that he was going to do it back in February. We have ways to do it. You know, uh, Victoria Newland's on on video saying the same thing. Uh, this is what happens. This is. You want to know what global terrorism is? That's global terrorism. It's not 19 Arab hijackers with box cutters or anything like that. That stuff is when you do that. That is the that is that is asking for a war. That is an act of war to do that. And Russia is not stupid. They know what's going on. They're not, they're not, you know, they understand who's involved in this. I think that, you know, the media going out and saying, well, it looks like Russia did it to their own pipeline. It's like, you've got to stop. You people have got on the media have got to stop with your lies. They would, there's no incentive. Who benefits? Qui bono? Who benefits? Not Russia. They could have turned it off at will, right? They could just turn the switch and say, well, we'll just... You know, we'll never, we'll never activate. You know, we just, it's up to them. They have the controls. Why would they blow up their own pipeline? That makes no sense. And I do understand false flags very well, but this is, this was one that doesn't make any sense. So um, it was America that did it because that's what we do. We do these things. We, we, America, the American empire are the giant terrorist faction that everybody is out looking for in caves and Tora Bora and all that stuff. No, no, that's us. That's our intelligence agencies. That's the CIA. That's these groups. That's not, that's not, that's not the bad guys. I hate to break it to the, the, the traditional Americans that are just figuring this out. But in the global war on terror, America is the bad guy. I take no pleasure in saying that as an American. I wish, I wish our sales pitch were true that we're spreading freedom and democracy and all of these things, but we're, we're just really not. We don't do that. We say we are, but we're not. So when a pipeline like that blows up and it and it only benefits uh, one group like us, then, you know, it, it was probably us. And especially when the president and Victoria Nuland are both on video saying that they are going to take out the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, that it's going to be taken out. And then when asked, what do you mean by that? He just says, we have ways. We have ways like setting off bombs. So Charlie then, because we've got mutually assured destruction through nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and we've not had a world war in this century where these have been initiated against other major powers and everyone's just gone full on. I mean, how far can even leaders who are truly psychopathic and, you know, just profiteer from these things, how far they, can they take it in an era of nuclear weapons? I don't know. I don't know if anybody... It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very slippery slope, obviously. And we've used them. We, America, has used weapons like that on Japan multiple times. And then we go around lecturing every other country how they're not allowed to do that. I'm very... I'm concerned about... I'm, I'm concerned that America wants it. That's my problem is that we hear presidents talk about how they want to deter nuclear war. I'm not so sure that this administration wants to deter nuclear war. I think they would, they're begging for anything that would distract away from the horrible job that they're doing. Now, normally that's something else. It's not a nuclear war. Nuclear war is obviously the worst case scenario, but but think about who is in charge. These people are destroyers. They're not builders. The Biden administration and these people, they're not in there building anything. 
they're destroying everything. They're building it back better. You know, they've got to destroy everything to build back better. And so it wouldn't surprise me if these psychopaths pushed it a little bit too far. I hope that the adults in the room recognize that this is not a, it's not something you come back for. You open that door up, you make it, you say, well, it's just a tactical nuke. You know, we're just going to use a small one here. You used, if you used one, you used one, you know, and then, then the next time it's easier for another country to say, well, we're just going to use two tactical nukes. I mean, they're still small, right? But we're just going to use two. And then the cat's out of the bag. And then the next thing you know, you can't control this. And, and, and the idea of going to this becomes either normalized or it becomes too easy or there's precedent set. Well, you know, you know, the guy before me, the guy in the white house before me did it. So I can do it now too. And, and in fact, we wrote in legislation, which legalized it for me to do, you know, all these things. I, I hope it's saber rattling. I hope it's um, I hope it's just to keep everybody scared. I mean, I don't love that obviously, but it's better than it being what it could be, which is an actual war that that spirals out of control. I mean, the worst people in the world are in charge of this stuff, right? With the American State Department and uh whoever's, you know, pushing for it in Ukraine and 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 of course Russia's armed too and 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 they have the ability to just drop uh, you know, to to get involved in this if they if they need to. Bad idea though for us to be blowing up their pipelines. This is an invitation to drag us into war and I don't want war for anybody. I don't want it for, I don't care who's, who's the right side in this event because a bunch of people, I mean, I looked at the stats for world war one, the civilian death toll was 10%. World war two, the civilian death toll was 30%. Vietnam, the civilian death toll was 70%. In Iraq, the civilian death toll was 90%. So no matter what happens, we get into a war there's going to be a lot of civilians dead, people that are just trying to stay alive, stay out of this, don't want a part of it, maybe want to escape, can't escape. They're stuck there. A lot of innocent people hurt. I just I can't sign off on that. And the, the arrogance of these politicians who I who I have no respect for anyway. And the, like we said earlier, the, the directions coming from people above it, it, it's very worrisome to me because I don't think that the people that will make the decision on it or even even i don't think if somebody like biden made the decision to use a nuclear weapon i don't believe it would be his decision i believe it would be somebody else telling him to do that and since we don't know who that somebody else is that makes it all the more dangerous because we don't even know who to direct our anger or who to plead with to stop doing this so it's it's a very dangerous situation do you think that there is a sense of when you have that much power, you just lose touch with reality? Because we saw Napoleon with his grand army mm-hmm. get all the way into Russia and to Moscow, and then they got decimated. We saw Hitler just run Germany into the ground. I mean, these people... One moment they're on top of the world, and next minute they're just surrounded by death, destruction, chaos, and their own people are in ruins. Is that a cycle, something to do with human nature and psychology, that we are going to see repeated? But in this case, America is the superpower, and perhaps 
the rest, you know, they're going to end up suffering and the rest of the world is going to end up suffering in the same way as other leaders have, have driven just mass mass death and, and desolation and, and war. I think the the I think the leaders leadership in America is insane. I think that they are I mean they're insane for a variety of reasons. With regard to the, you know, I mean they focus on things like pronouns and whatever and they're they're all into that here in 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 America at the expense of real important things like, you know, inflation and things that matter to the people. So they're already detached from reality. They're already psychotic. We know that. This is a bad combination. If, if the West wants to drag every, I think that that is sort of cyclical. I think that you, you know, you, the audacity to think that you can be the president or the head general, you know, when, when it's just, it's, it's a position that so few ever come to, you have to have an arrogance about you. You have to have a psychopathy about you to think, to even consider that you're going to be that person. So I think the nature of the position in and of itself attracts the worst kind of people. Psychopaths looking for power, narcissists, you know, that 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 are uh, you know looking to glorify themselves at the expense of everybody else. I mean, it just attracts bad people. So we're starting from a position of bad people are filling these these job openings, you know, what in politics, right? And then they're the ones they hang out with a bunch of other psychopaths and all this insanity becomes normalized to them when they're sitting in a, in a meeting talking about, well, do we bomb North Korea tomorrow, next Thursday or the Thursday after that? And nobody in the room says, how about we don't bomb them at all? Instead that, that voice gets drowned out. That voice is, is putting America in harm, harm's way. Then it becomes like, the psychology of herd mentality and, and all these people are, are thinking the same way. They're thinking, yes, yes, North Korea bombed them. Yes, mm, maybe we should wait for two Thursdays from now because that would be better for, and you're, you just want to go, can somebody talk some sense into these psychopaths? They're, they're, they're crazy. They're losing their mind. And meanwhile, we don't have the money to start any new wars. Of course, we're, we're broke. We're, we're, we're a drugged out country living on our credit cards, living in our cars, still talking about the glory days when everybody was scared of us. We just got done losing a 20-year war to a bunch of sheep herders after losing a 10-year war to a bunch of farmers in North Vietnam. So we're in no position to go around saber-rattling, saying, well, America's here, we're going to kick some ass. Really? No, America's here, we're going to destroy your country, but then we're going to leave and leave it a mess. And then we're going to leave all the weapons to the guys beforehand. So I, I am terrified of the leadership of our country. And, and it would be just one thing if our country only dealt with, uh, with, with the inhabitants of our own country, but instead America has deemed itself the policeman of the world. So we've got our nose in everybody's business. And that makes me extra nervous because I know that when, when we start doing things like that, it never goes well. And, and the wrong people are in charge. So I'm, I'm concerned. I'm not, I'm not panicked, but I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely wish different people were, were, were having a voice in this because we, we desperately need some sanity injected in here. And unfortunately the people that, that make the decisions, they're, they're, they're incentivized and, and, and put into position by people that benefit from, um, 
um, that people that benefit from from war and chaos and the destruction that comes with that. So I think that it's uh, it's one of these situations where, you know, be aware of it. Be aware of what's going on out there. Don't let it like make you totally insane. And I know Sean's changing the battery in his camera because we do this from time to time. Right? <laughs> um, so, you know, like I think we're, we're probably going to be fine. Um, but I definitely want people to, um, you know, to, to, to speak out and, and listen, talk to, talk to your friends and family, tell them that you're, you're not going to support any of this stuff. You're not going to support foreign war and more foreign wars and make your, make it so unpopular wherever you live to the, so that the people know that if they vote for this, if they, if they, if they decide that they're going to send here in America, they're just sending money like crazy over to, um, to Europe. To, to Ukraine in particular, to just finance all of this insanity. It's just, you have to let them know, listen, we're not going to put you in this position to, to do this anymore. We're going to, we're going to vote you out for whatever that, whatever that does, you know, which isn't a whole lot these days, but make yourself, make your voice known. We've got a question from Kenneth. What are Charlie's views on the Italian elections and Georgia Maloney? I like the speech. <laughs> I like the speech. Like everybody else liked the speech. But, you know, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to refrain from the massive compliment to Georgia Maloney's speech, or, you know, to this, this woman until I know more, because I, I've done this before where I hear something like that and I go, finally, finally, we got a good one in here. Finally, we've got somebody that sees what's going on and is pointing it all out. And then you find out, well, you know, this person's like a world economic forum, young global leader. And you go, okay, automatic disqualification or something like that, you know? And so, so we're, I, I anticipate at some point in the near future, we will find out something about her past that makes us go, ugh. And I hate that. I wish I didn't think that, but I've just had that experience over and over again. So um, Italian elections, my view on Italian elections in general is that the CIA's very first job when they came into power was to rig the Italian elections. So I don't have much faith in Italian elections. I'll tell you that right now. And didn't the mafia help them because they, oh, yeah. they were opposed to Mussolini? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, the CIA said, listen, if we want to get we want to get Italy into NATO and, and as part of the rules for NATO, the countries that join cannot have socialist or communist uh, leadership. You just can't. So there's an there's an election going on, and there's this really popular like socialist. And we saw what you you maniacs did with Mussolini. So we know you'll vote for just about anybody. So we got to make sure that that guy doesn't get in. And once they made sure that that guy didn't get in, and the right guy, you know, for their, their you know the one that wasn't a socialist or a communist got in, then they were eligible for m membership in NATO. And then that's when it happened. And wasn't it uh, Lucky Luciano they let out of prison to help fight fight Mussolini as well? Got to break some eggs, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next, next we've got another question from Easy e So Easy e has been a member of the channel for two years. Shout out for you for that. What's Charlie's views on Western governments copying the Chinese government's social rating standards like your credit rating only based on your views and social standards. It is a huge problem. And you would think that America would look at China and that very repressive regime to 
technocratic control nowadays. Shenzhen has uh, over 100 million facial recognition cameras in there that are all networked up so that if you're a guy smoking a cigarette, getting on a bus when you're not allowed to smoke a cigarette on a bus, by the time you get off that bus and and, and walk into, you know, back to your apartment or whatever, you get a ping on your cell phone saying you were smoking on the bus. We matched you with the facial recognition cameras. We determined it was you. We fined you $15 or whatever the amount is. And we've deducted it from your Weibo account, which is like a PayPal account. So you've been tried, found guilty, convicted, and um, they've taken the money out of your account already. And that happens in seven minutes. So when I see something like that, I go, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that level of control. And you would hope that the American politicians would say, that just goes against our whole freedom and democracy thing, you know? But instead they don't. They look at that and they go, I like what you've done here. Please tell us how to do that. Please show us how to uh, control our people in, in this fashion. Oh, you've welded people into the houses in, or into this apartment in, in Shanghai due to you know the, the thing that we're not allowed to talk to about? Oh, that's, that's terrible, right? And like the American politicians are like taking notes on like, oh, first we do this, then we do And you're like, no, 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 no. We don't want any of that. It's dangerous. The social credit component to this is super dangerous and it's part of a multi-layered approach because it's also tied into central bank digital currencies. It's it's also going to be built tied into ESG scores. It's going to give you a carbon rating on your credit card. MasterCard, who's partnered with the World Economic Forum, already has a credit card out that manages and tracks the amount of carbon output from the products you're buying. Now, how they measure that and how accurate it is, I don't really know. But that's at least where they're going. They're trying to get to a point where they can quantify everything and feed all that information into a social credit score for you. And then there'll be benefits to having a high score. You want to rent a car uh, with your high score, you may get a discount. We'll move you to the front. You actually get to go in that line instead of the line with all the other people. You get to go into the fast line because your score is so high and you got a discount and look at all these things that we're rewarding you with. The carrot and then, you know, here's the carrot and and for all this stuff. Now, guess what? Wait till the stick comes out because the stick is bad. The stick is you get separated from uh, the ability to conduct commerce. You get your banking. You get locked out of your banking. You get maybe fired from your job. In China, the social credit system is so devious that if I am a low score person because I have um, anti-government type thoughts and I do a, and I have a phone call with you and you're a good person, Sean, who has very high a high score because you're in line with everything, just from you talking to me, your score goes down. So now this situation sets up for um you know, being ostracized from your communities. It, it sets up self-censorship, which I would su- suspect, you know, I would, I would suggest is the most devious form of censorship either. The things that you want to say, but refuse to say because you know the consequences. Ooh, that's terrible. But you, all these things are now in play because you know that anything you say will be held against you in this social credit score system. And it's not limited to China. They've already started exporting it and trying it out in different places. The first place they did was Ecuador. And I would think that it's coming. It's coming. They got to work out some bugs for sure. But if they do it the right way, 
meaning the absolute wrong way, they, they will have access to unlimited amounts of data coming in from credit bureaus, credit card companies, social media platforms, your voting records, your health records, the, the, the last time you went to a doctor, you know, all that stuff, everything that you do will be fed into this and then you will be judged accordingly. So, um, it's a, it's, it is a, it's a horrible concept. It's not going to be well respected and well liked in America because I think it's going to go against a lot of sort of traditional American values, but that's not to say that they won't cram it through anyway. So I, I would, I would definitely keep my eyes open for that one. So we are running out of time for questions for Charlie in the YouTube section. If you do have any, get them in there now and Ash will grab them. We've got a question has come in from Linda net. Any thoughts about the CIA creating its own podcast? Uh, I would give that podcast a one star review. <laughs> Not Didn't, interested um, in the CIA's podcast. Isn't Meghan Markle doing a podcast? Oh, I'm sure that's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, I like flowers. And you're like, okay. <laughs> All right. So next question then. <laughs> From Paul Morgan. If we don't know who runs things, what can an ordinary person do to change things? Well, look, you, you, first of all, don't give in to the fear. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I know that this stuff sounds scary and, and maybe it is, but your life, your local, you know, the, the life you live on a local level. I, I, I always go back to the Bill Hicks thing when he says he turns on the TV and there's chaos and mayhem and murders and all these things happening. And then he opens his window, sticks his head out and it's crickets, right? It's not happening here. So a lot of this stuff that we're made to fear is never going to impact us. I think that if you take care of yourself and you take care of your family, the people closest to you, and you, re you reach out and talk to the people that you can affect, that's, that's the best thing that you can do on a local level. Now, be difficult, you know, be, be a pain in the butt for these people. They're on a timeline, it seems. And the more we can do to throw that timeline off, the more difficult it is for them. So be, you know, I, I, I want to, I just, I don't want to be the guy that comes out and says, you have to be scared of all this stuff. I mean, I fully recognize that there's some parts of it that are a bit scary, but don't stay in the fear, you know, recognize it, then say, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move on. Take care of your friends, take care of your family, reach the people you can reach, do what's best for you, read as much as you can, understand where you are and what's going on and talk to the people that you can, that you can talk to. And, and maybe even more importantly, don't focus on the people you can't reach. Don't put focus on those people. If they're not interested in things, if they're, if they think that, you know, topics like this are just all crazy and nonsense, you know, if you, if you desperately have to talk to them ask them questions instead of just verbally like unloading on them. Like, let me tell you how this all works. Ask them questions, get them to talk, but, but if they're willing to, but if they're, if they're, you know, un, unable or unwilling to see what's happening in this world, you might need to prioritize your time and move on. And so that's why I say focus on the things that you can control 
partner up with some people in advance that like-minded people that, you know, listen, if things get a little weird out here, I just need to know who I can call for this or that or the other. And so I, I, in macroaggressions, my, my big push is for people to be proactive as opposed to reactive. So to the extent that you can start to take care of things in advance, start to, uh, you know, get yourself sort of situated. You see what's coming, right? We just talked about social credit scores. We talked about, you know, banking and all that stuff. You see where this is going with the banking, extrapolate out a couple of months and see, okay, well, we could have a banking collapse. What would I do if there was a banking collapse? Well, I definitely want to have all my money out before that happened, or at least some of it out. Oh, what if fiat currencies are going to go to zero? Well, I definitely would like to have some gold and silver just in case I'd like exchange these things. So, so think, think about this. And, and then after you've done think you're done thinking about it, then you have to do something about it. Because I'll tell you what, the most frustrating thing you can ever do is know that all this stuff is coming. See that it's coming. Recognize it. Not don't even you're not even arguing with us that bad things are on the horizon because these people are trying to make bad things happen. And you know all this and then you choose to do nothing in advance to get yourself out of the way. Ooh, that's going to be a tough one. And Berwick and I talked about this in Controlled Demolition of the American Empire when we're describing the the destruction of the of America in a controlled way. And we, we used the, the, the story of uh, December 26, 2004, Banda Aceh, Indonesia, the day of the tsunami. That morning, a lot of people went down to the beach and there was no water. And they went, there's, I've n- we've never seen this before. The beach used to end here. And now I can walk all the way out and there's people taking pictures and, oh my gosh, look at this. There's shells. There's like starfish and all these animals I never see. This is crazy. Well, you know what was happening simultaneous to that was that the animals, the elephants and all of the animals, they were all going to higher ground. And the people that had been and lived there for a while, they were going to higher ground too, because they recognized the signs. They knew when that water goes out, it's not just vanishing. It's going to come back in, in a tidal wave form. That's what happens. And when you recognize the signs, you got to get to higher ground. So here we are. And Berwick and I are trying to talk about this in controlled demolition. We're saying, look, we can't tell you every last detail of how this thing is coming down. We're just saying the building has been rigged and these guys are pushing, getting ready to push the plunger down. And when they do, you need to be out of the way when it happens. You can't save everybody. You be able to save yourself, make some moves accordingly. So What I'm telling people is don't be scared, but be the elephant that gets to higher ground now while it's relatively calm and do the things that you know you need to do now. You'll be, you'll be grateful. Um, You'll be grateful down the line. Jed wants to know if there's any hope of a spiritual victory with a genuine uncorrupted leader. Sure. Yes. There's always hope, right? I mean, if we give up hope, then what's the point? Um, you know, uncorrupted leaders, ooh, there's something about being that lead in that leadership role, like I said earlier, that sort of attracts the worst people. I mean, and look, let's be honest, spiritual leaders are, are don't have necessarily the best track record, at least here in America. You know, you always catch the guy who's like, you know, the 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 the, the, the anti-homosexual preacher who's preaching about how homosexuality is a sin, and then he gets caught in a hotel room with a male prostitute, you know, all those guys. So, so there's a long history of hypocrisy happening in inside the churches, but 
is there a chance? Of course. Of course there's a chance. We've got a chance. There's good people out there. There's a lot of good people out there. And 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 I think I think that one of the best things that we can do is is to get people to recognize, you know, the the, the politicians or the people on your nightly news, the people that you think are good, maybe they're not so good. Maybe dig into who they are. And when you once you get sick and tired of them and the general public decides to do something about it, Maybe then they elevate one of their own, a good person, somebody that they like, and they put them in a leadership position and then people follow. But I'll tell you what, I don't I I, I don't know if I'm gonna sit around waiting for an uncorrupted leader to uh, arise immediately because in the current situation that we're in, the only people that get promoted to leadership roles are the people that are corrupted, unfortunately. Well, maybe not all, but, but a a large percentage of them enough that it's, it's, it's hard to follow the leaders. So, so there, there's always a chance, you know, so they're saying, you're saying there's a chance, (laughs) there's a chance for sure. And, and, and I, and I always want to stay optimistic about that stuff, but, 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 but don't, you know, we, we have to, Trust, but verify, right? As Ronald Reagan used to say. So you've invited me onto your show, Charlie. Let's yeah. tell the viewers about that. So I am putting together a new show. So so it's funny because we the early part of this uh, segment here, we've been talking about censorship. We've been talking about platforms and things like that. And we've been talking about sort of seeing where you are and extrapolating out where the future is going and making plans accordingly. I have a podcast and I talk about crazy things. I talk about real things, but I talk about things that are very inconvenient to the establishment. And I know that at some point I will be censored. I will be, well, I've already been, like I said, I've already been thrown off of, of YouTube, but I will eventually be, and I've been banned, you know, put in Facebook jail and all these things. And I recognize that at the rate we're going with the, um, impact that we're making in the podcasting world, at some point they will come for the podcast. So I want to build uh, another show. I am building another show that's going to be outside of the areas where they can touch it. It's going to be behind a paywall. It's going to be a combination of Patreon and Substack where it's both extra video interviews, uh, short videos that I've recorded already and will continue to record and a lot of my writing too. So I've been able to, uh, I've been writing articles. Everything is getting ready to go up. So we're building out Macro Plus. It is, um, and I'll put the little logo up here if I, if you can see it. <laughs> yes. I borrowed, uh, you know, it's CNN Plus's logo, but they don't need it. <laughs> they only lasted a couple of weeks. So I said, to, I said, oh, I really want to do it. And I really want to use their logo kind of like their logo, like officially not exactly. We changed some things, but uh I want to I want to have a place where I know I can talk about the things I want to talk about without the risk of censorship. And so I've I've got people you know people that I that are interesting to talk to where we can get we can talk about the important things. I uh, I've started to just recently started recording episodes for it even though it's not available yet. I'm just sort of getting my my backlog built. Had a great talk with Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong. Talked about um, you know Hollywood talked about how you make movies in Hollywood and all the, how, what really goes on behind the scenes, things like that. So, and, and, and of course you are on my, on my list of people to, to talk to about, uh, you know, one of the first people, because I want to talk to you in a way where it's, you're not constricted by platforms. 
you know, how so that I, goes. Will so, I be able to so pound, Micro pound Plus the will be table? coming out soon. Will I be able to pound the table and say anything I want? Yes. Yes. In fact, I encourage it. Yeah, that's what we want. <laughs> we want that. We want We want to have the conversations and not have people tell us you can't talk about that stuff. We'll talk about it and then if you think it's crazy then then don't listen. If you if it but I think you might be surprised. I think you might be surprised at what us crazy conspiracy theorists have figured out about this world. And, and that is that there there's um there's a lot happening behind the scenes and we don't have it all figured out of course we're far from it but but we've peeled back uh, enough so that we can see that there's a there's a whole there's the forward facing version of reality that we see in our daily lives that's projected on our screens and we're told this is reality and then there's something else going on behind the scenes i like talking about the things that are going on behind the scenes i like that and i like to talk to people that have more information about it than me so so it's so it's going to be you know i got you on my list ryan dawson's coming on you know you know the people the the, the dirty dozen i think or whoever the people <laughs> are that you're not allowed to have on your shows oh. are all going to be on my show because i want that so it's coming soon. Uh, if you listen to macroaggressions, if you're somebody that subscribes to my podcast, uh, I'll start talking about it here in the next couple of weeks. Everything is still getting built out. So I want to make sure that if things are up and running before uh, before we launch it. I don't want to have a buggy site or anything. A whole rebuilding, a whole new website, a whole new everything. Got some guys working on on building the intro video. That should be great. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. So. Huge thank you, Charlie, for this first section then on YouTube. We hope to see you in 40 minutes on Patreon, Uncensored. Huge thank you for everyone who's been in the chat so far. It has been absolutely on fire and phenomenal. All of Charlie's links are in the description box. His books, his socials, his platform, wherever you want to reach him, all in the description box. Please support our guests. It inspires them to come back on. And please subscribe to this channel as well. When we get over a million subscribers, can you imagine the magnitude of the guests we will be able to get on? So, yeah, we thank you all for supporting what we're doing here. And now we're going to bring in our next guest. So I'll see you soon, Charlie. Cheers. You got it. Take care.